This week, we kick off a new series. Um, uh, the series is called The Apostles' Creed, and we're going to cover the Apostles' Creed primarily, but we're also going to cover a few of the other creeds. Um, each week in this series, I hope to highlight and focus on a particular portion of the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to take it section by section. I believe in God the Father Almighty, and we'll We'll probably spend just a week on that phrase, but we'll look at other creeds that relate to uh, that phrase, as well as we'll look at verses in the scripture that support those phrases, and then we'll cover why that phrase is important, why it's in the creed, how it relates to us, how we can apply it to our daily practice as a Christian, and then finally, how to actually take that creed and or that portion of the creed, and, and have it become a tool for meditation. So this course is not going to be overly historical. And just to clarify what I mean, we won't spend a lot of time reading what is known as primary documents. We won't go and read the different articles that were written describing why the creeds were written the way that they were written. And the only reason we're going to do that is just for the sake of brevity that is to keep this thing short, and for the sake of accessibility. A lot of the concerns around the creeds and the reason why they're written in the way that they are written have to do with very precise theological arguments, and while we'll touch on a lot of them, we won't um, dissect every single one. Um, that is not to say that historical study of, of church history is unimportant. It's just that for our purposes here, um, as keeping these uh, Sunday morning sermons, we're not going to we're not going to go into that much detail. The goal of this series, while we examine the creeds, is not just to examine the creeds in themselves, but rather for our examination to be God exalting and Christ focused while we while we look at these things. So so this isn't just a this isn't creeds for creeds' sake, if that may, makes any sense. Um, <clears throat> the ultimate end of reciting a creed or, or learning a creed is to see the one whom the creed discusses. And I think we're going we're gonna to try to do that. So today we're going to begin with an introduction on the background, the purpose, the goals, and the benefits of creeds, uh, specifically highlighting how a Christian should apply a creed in their life. <clears throat> Um, so first of all, a definition, a creed is a statement of belief in particular, a statement of faith that describes the beliefs shared by a religious community. Um, this is as simple as you can get. A creed is just a concise statement of what we believe. So it's not what I believe versus what you believe. It's what the people of God as a whole believe together. And uh, the reason we're doing this series is because a long time ago, we added the creeds as part the recitation of a creed at the end of the music in our worship service. Um, and this series is going to help those who have never said a creed before, or, or, or the creeds are foreign, or you think they're weird, or you're not sure. This series is going to hopefully convince you of the biblical basis of creeds, and uh, the practical application and the benefits of learning, internalizing, and, and, and then being able to recite or, that is, articulate your faith through a creed. 
Um, one of the things that we do when right before we say the creeds, I said this this morning, is let's declare together something to the effect of let's declare together our faith as it is found in the creed. And the reason we the reason I say that exact sentence or that exact terminology as it is found in the creed is because the creeds come to us and I also say let us declare together it's 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 a thing that we do in unison. And so a creed is is simply what we said this morning if you were here for that part we said the apostles creed which this series is going to highlight and dissect um and that creed is the shortest um a shortest concise statement of what we often term to be the Christian faith or the rule of faith. And so um Let's look a little bit about the at a, the background of, of a creed. Uh, creeds have always been part of the church's worship. There, there has uh, always been a time in which the church worldwide has said creeds. Um, initially, various portions of scripture formed the early creedal statements that they used. Um, for example, during Paul's instructions to Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy 3.16, not part of the reading this morning, but could have been. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, speaking of Jesus, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by, or some translations say, in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And so this very small statement describes the person and work of Jesus in coming to the earth, um, being uh, being revealed as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, walking among us as the God-man, uh, proclaimed among the nations, the disciples have gone out amongst the people and have begun to preach, and he was believed on in the world, and he was taken up back into heaven. And so this is a very small amount of what you can, you can see the beginnings of, of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, they all contain this idea here. But but what Paul is saying is, here already we confess. He says we confess. And the he says the mystery of godliness, another way to think about that is the mystery of the incarnation, or, or that is the righteousness that came about through Jesus taking on human form in the incarnation. And, and here he's saying this is the mystery, and then he begins to describe it. Um, also another portion of the, the creed is what we read today in first Corinthians, uh, 15. Um, I'm actually going to go back here for a second. Um, Paul says here that, um, he actually has received the faith from, from someone and, and, I, I just want you to notice this. We're not we're gonna retouch on it in a minute. But he says now in verse one, first Corinthians fifteen one, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So so here Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians describing what has already happened. He's reminding them of the gospel, which they already know, because he he says, I already preached to you. Uh, which you received, so they, so Paul came and preached, and they received what he was preaching, that is the gospel, in which you stand. So these these Corinthians, he Paul's affirming them. You're currently in the gospel, 
And he then says, by which you are being saved. There's a continual progressive salvation. Uh, that is, there's a continuing effect that the gospel is having on this group of Christians at Corinth, and they're being saved uh, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. And so one of the one of the effects uh, of the creed is creeds pull parts of scripture that are necessary for us to believe the gospel, and they demonstrate that which is required if we're to consider ourselves or consider someone else in, as being part of the Orthodox faith or the, the, the faith that Christians have always believed in right relation and practice. Uh, other portions of New Testament scripture that could be um, used as creed include Philippians 2, uh, 6 through 11, Col- Colossians 1, 12 through 20. That's Colossians 1 is uh, the great Christological uh, treatise that Paul unveils to um, beat back the not only the errors of, of Gnosticism, but also to fully establish the, the person of Jesus Christ, who he was and, and what he's done. And also in Colossians 2, 9 through 15, if you want to, if you want to look at and, and be further convinced of the biblical basis for creedal statements, take a look at these. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. So you might be saying, okay, I hear you, John, you're yakking about creeds. What, what is this all about? Why do I need to learn a creed? Um, I would say that you don't need to learn a creed because you already have a creed and you already believe something. Um, if somebody came up to you and said, what do you believe? Like, what, what's your faith? Are you a Christian? They might say, are you a Christian? And if you say yes, then, you know, you've short-circuited the question. But if someone comes up to you and sa- says, what exactly do you believe? Or give a defense for what you believe or explain what you believe, you would provide an answer. Or you might run away, which is also an answer. It's an answer of cowardice. But you would provide an answer, and that answer that you provide in that moment is your functional creed. So this isn't a an optional thing. I can learn a creed or I cannot learn a creed. You have a creed. A creed simply means, uh, it comes from the Latin credo, I believe. That's the first line of the Apostles and Nicene Creed, I believe. Um so you would you would answer the statement and you would say, I believe that, you know, Zeus is God or or that, you know, or that Muhammad is the prophet for Allah or or whatever. You would say something and that whatever you would say, you know, I believe in the God of the Bible and that Jesus Christ is only son. That is your creed. And so what the Apostles Creed and the Nicene Creed do for us is they provide in a very concise way a short list of things which we as Christians believe. Um, so it's not it's not the case that you can just ignore creeds. You have them. It's just, do you have one that is rich and mature and, and can easily be used to then preach the gospel to someone? Um, if, you, if you look at many of the creeds over time, they were initially formed as a series of um, instruction tools, and that's what we're going to use the Apostles' Creed as, as an instruction tool or a teaching tool. But before they, the Christian says, I believe, they're asked the question, Christian, what do you believe? And then the creed is said as a response to that question. And so um, this, this series is not only a necessity because you already have a creed, and you may have deficiencies in your articulation of or your defense 
for your ability to explain the gospel. And this, this series will help to shore up those things. The other reason it's, nece- it's necessary, this is a quote from John Leith's book, The Creed of the Churches, which is um, available on Amazon and other fine booksellers. Um, he says, the need for theology and for creeds arises from two basic facts. This is page one of his book. One is the nature of man as an intelligent being. So what John Life is saying here, you know, this, this book just contains a bunch of creeds and he's giving an introduction to creeds. He, he's saying the need for theology and the need for creeds be, comes from the fact that you are made in the image of God and God is an intelligent being with the ability to reason and think and et cetera. God is actually the most special being who can reason and think because he knows and is truth himself um, and, and knows all things at all times. But God is, God is an intelligent being and we made in his image as Ray was highlighting just a, a few moments ago, we're intelligent beings as well. And we have a mind and that mind was created by God in order for us to know God. And it is through our mind that we can come to a deeper appreciation and knowledge of the faith. He goes on to say, what cannot be thought through critically and expressed with reasonable clarity, reasonable clarity, cannot demand the allegiance of man's whole being. Uh, The Greeks had a philosophy of, or a, a belief of man that said, you're basically a mind and a body, and maybe there's this soul thing, although they, the jury was out. Uh, some of their some of their philosophers, you know, weren't exactly ready to talk about a soul, but they they saw things in a very compartmentalized way, and they were attempting to decide to dissect between the way that your body is related to your soul and your mind is related to your body and things like that. The Hebrews, however, their worldview has a body in which all of man is related uh, and and all of the what we might think of as components are actually um, interweaving elements to your person that is I'm you know I'm not it would be wrong to say that I am a person trapped in a body um, uh, my body is part of me and uh, that's that's one of the main points of the incarnation is that God values physical bodies but an extension to that is that our minds are part of who we are. And a faith that is not uh, intellectual, a faith that doesn't have an ability, as John Leith says, to express with reasonable clarity is a faith that um, is not whole yet. And so, uh, in essence, what he's saying, if you don't understand what you believe, then you do not fully believe it. Now, what I'm what I want to do right now is just say that I am not saying that if you don't know the Apostles' Creed, you're not saved. You're not saved by reciting a creed. You're not saved by memorizing the Nicene Creed and being able to spell it backwards. That's not how you're saved. However, the the maturity of faith uh, that my dad spoke about earlier in in the Sunday school session, the maturity of faith that is de- that Paul says he desires to bring out among the Gentiles. That mature faith is a faith that involves loving the Lord with your mind. So um, he, John Lythe goes on on page two. He says, indeed, the articulation of faith, articulation just means 
the ability to verbalize and to put into terms that can be um, reasoned about and, and communicated with someone else who you know, speaks the same language. The, indeed, the articulation of faith in intelligible words not only clarifies faith, but becomes itself the means of deeper commitment of heart and mind. There was a, I remember in my Abeka history book uh, from seventh grade, <clears throat> there was a, they, you know, they're, they're very good on, at covering, uh, at least moderately good at covering the parts of history of the uh, early United States. And they cover one of the first laws in the Plymouth colony. I believe it's Plymouth. If you're a historian and I'm wrong, correct me either now or later. But uh, they, they formed a law in, um, in Massachusetts called the Old Deluder Satan Act. And what they were finding was their kids, because they were so consumed with work, their kids were being um, neglected in their ability to read, write, and to think. And so uh, the, the colony basically said, everybody's so involved with um, growing crops and just surviving, and we've somehow neglected teaching our, our children um, that we need to establish schools. And the point of that act, the point of that law was that if Satan convinces uh, either a family to not teach their children or somehow Satan, Satan gets a hold of a young person and it makes them not able to read, then they cannot read the scriptures. They cannot understand the gospel because gospel is communicated through language. And so the, re the, the purpose of that law was in its title. They wanted to stop Satan's schemes of keeping their children unintelligent so that they couldn't understand the scriptures, which is an amazing thing when you consider what we've got now in public school. We're, we're not going there, but um, if you've never heard about the old deluder Satan act, go Wikipedia. It's fascinating. So part of, part of loving the Lord is loving the Lord with our minds. And I think that is the core purpose of this uh, series is to begin to love the Lord with our minds in a way that it becomes a more full and mature love in our hearts. So in essence, if you do not understand what you believe, then you do not fully believe it. Um, so creeds are, are primarily tutors in the faith that also become an avenue for deeper meditation and contemplation. What I mean by meditation is meditation is a, um, sometimes you hear meditation in an Eastern mysticism or Zen Buddhism kind of way. Um, the Christianity has meditation in it. And the way that David in the Psalm says, I will meditate on your law both day and night. In Christianity, we meditate on God's ways, his attributes, what he's done, portions of scripture, um, different uh, prayers that maybe are, you know, the Lord's prayer or something like that. And those, those, med those things that we meditate on are vehicles or, or, or avenues by which we can obtain deeper communion with God and a deeper knowledge of his presence and his involvement in our lives. And so creeds are not just tutors in the faith. They also become, um, in over time, when you memorize a creed and, and reflect on it, over time it becomes a way to uh, kind of 
meditate on the the wonder of God's um, plan and purpose for this for His created order. And uh, earlier we we ended worship. We ended the music this morning, saying, uh, singing part of that song that all that you do is beautiful, and the work of your hands is beautiful. When when David said that in the Psalms, he was talking about creation, but as a New Testament believer, we see that verse and we think about all of the work of God's handiwork, not just created order, but redeeming and choosing a people and bringing about that people into a special land and sending his son and that son, his son dying on the cross for us, raising from the dead, triumphing over death and hell in the grave, ascending to the right hand of the father, ruling and reigning, administering his spirit to the church. That is all the work of his hands, which is why I, I don't know if you could tell, but I was losing it at the, the end of the, the worship because that's what we mean when we think of all the things that God has done. It's all of redemptive history. And what the creeds do for, for our minds is they provide a, an outline for us to see all of that uh, at once. And um, we'll look at that later. But they become the avenue for greater and deeper communion and meditation and contemplation about the nature and person of God and how we relate to him, how we're related to God, and how we relate to his redemptive purposes for his creation. So there's a, there's a purpose to these creeds, as we've been noting. It, it can be said, essentially, creeds have two purposes. The first purpose is that creeds tell us what we believe. So I come to the church, and the church has a, an established body of faith, and the creeds inform me what the church believes. Not just a church, not attending a church, but I, I come to the institution of the church, and the church informs me, it opens my eyes to, to understand what what they believe. And then second, the creeds tell the world what we believe. So it, that seems confusing, but it actually it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Creeds were written at various times in various places for the purposes of correcting particular theological errors, and what, what they called at the time, and are still called heresies, that is lies about God or lies about what God has done. And the early church fathers who received the faith from the apostles, wrote down statements clearly defining what those what the faith was in order for posterity, that is, in order for that faith to be handed down through the centuries in a faithful and, and true way. Uh, in our reading today, we, we, learned, we learned that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, concerning his ministry to them, for I delivered to you as of first importance, that is, when I showed up in Corinth, I didn't go, uh, you know, establish uh, a school or make a hospital. The first thing that I did when I came to Corinth, Paul says, is that I delivered to you what I also had received. Now, that's an interesting statement, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul. Paul was a Judaizer who was... Uh, or Paul was, a, Paul was a Pharisee who was going around and persecuting the church. Um, those who had begun to proclaim that Jesus Christ was Yahweh, that is God in the flesh, manifested the full, uh, the full fulfillment of all the promises of Israel given to Israel. And Paul was going around and persecuting those people. And so, so 
Paul has this encounter with the Lord Jesus in where in which Jesus says, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And um, basically, Paul receives an apostleship from the Lord that is directly from the Lord. And so the other apostles receiving their ministry from the Lord, Paul says that I was just like them, except that I shouldn't be called an apostle because I was persecuting the church. There's a a little highlighted event in Paul's life where he says that he goes away for a period of 14 years, before he ever starts preaching. And so Paul for 14 years was in a church and was uh, at least among a group of brothers. We're not, we don't have that many details, but in that time period, he was receiving the faith. And then after that 14 years, he went up to Jerusalem, delivered uh, as a courtesy, a message of his gospel to the apostles who were in Jerusalem and, and kind of you know, said, I'm, am I on the right track here? And they validated him. And then he went away for another three years and then began to preach. Most of us just think Paul sees Jesus on, you know, gets knocked off the donkey and then bam, you know, going throughout all of, all of Asia Minor and is, is the world's best missionary. He actually spent for a period of 14 years plus then three more. And that, that preparation period is what Paul is describing here. Um, or hinting at at least, he delivers to the people at Corinth the faith which he himself received from the the apostles and from the scriptures, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being able to understand the Old Testament as it points to Christ. So when when unbelievers come into our meetings, they um, they may have questions of what do Christians believe, and the creeds help us answer those types of questions. The potential questions might be, who or what is God? Can I know God? Is there a God? Who is this person I've heard of called Jesus? What is my relationship to him? How do I become a Christian? Can I become a Christian? Et cetera, et cetera. These might be some types of, of questions that an unbeliever has when they come into a Christian meeting. And one of the things that a creed does is it begins to answer those questions in a very uh, concise and accurate way. So it has those two purposes. First, the church preaches the gospel and we receive the faith and then we turn around and tell the world our faith. It is a it is a reception and then a, a delivery. So there's some goals that the creed has or or that there are goals that we attempt to accomplish when we say a creed or recite a creed or memorize one. Creeds help us define those things which are necessary for someone to believe in order for someone to hold the true faith. And um, what I mean by that is not if you have a particular question about a word or a term or whatever, I'm not saying that you're an unbeliever. What I am saying is that by the creeds, we can, along with the scriptures, this, you know, creeds are not uh, stepping on scripture here the creeds along with the scriptures can inform us whether or not we hold Orthodox uh, beliefs, or that is beliefs about Christ and God that the church has always believed. Um, I lived in a place called Salt Lake City for two years. Um, Emily actually had lived there as well for a, a summer program. Although we weren't in Salt Lake at the same time, it was just kind of two ships in the night um, just passing. And we, you know, but, uh, in Salt Lake City, that that is the kind of the that's the world's capital for Mormonism, and 
when you uh, discuss Mormonism with either a Mormon or someone in uh, the evangelical parts of the church, that is, um, you know, Protestant groups who maybe have gone away from older lying groups like the Lutherans or, or something like that. Um, basic evangelicalism today, some people say that the Mormons are a type of Christian or, or a branch of the Christian church. And other people uh, hold that Mormonism is not part of the Christian faith. And I, I hold the latter opinion uh, because in my dialogue with their, uh, they have in, in, their, in their group, they have uh, elders, what we might call deacons, they call elders. They have dozens and dozens of elders in any given church. And they're just people who are basically missionaries. They call them you know, elder Bob or, or, or whatever we might call people brother. They, they use the term elder. So, uh, in my discussion with a number of those people out when I was in Salt Lake, um, I began to discuss, you know, what do you believe about the person and work of Jesus? And eventually we got around to the fact that, you know, they don't, really believe that Jesus is the only begotten son of God and that he was both man and God and that he was the only person who was both man and God. And so, um, you know, Jesus says, unless you believe that I am Yahweh, or unless you believe that I am, you will be dead in your sins. And so Mormonism holds a different opinion of who Jesus is rather than the one that's presented in the Bible and the scriptures. And so, um, at the very least, creeds become a waypoint for us to dialogue with other people of, of other faiths, such as Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, in an, in an attempt to bring them to uh, an, maybe a deeper understanding of what the New Testament says in order for them to begin to see the light of the gospel. So while we may say that it's important, that creeds are an important thing for establishing a basis of communion or fellowship with other believers, it's important to note that various churches throughout time have had exceptions with particular words or, or phrases in the creeds. Um, we changed one of the words in the, the Apostles' Creed um, from, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church is the way that most people translate the creed. Of course, the creed wasn't written in English, which we're not going to get into right now. But that word Catholic doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. That word specifically just means the Holy Universal Church. And so we changed it to that because a number of people, upon coming to our church, said, you know, are you guys Catholics? And and we just said, no, we're not Catholics. And 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 so when when we're saying that the creeds provide a basis for communion with other believers, it's not to be done in a, an exclusionary way. It's to be done in an inclusive way where we can say, you know, we can meet on this common ground that I believe in Jesus Christ, the only son of God. And, and that is through whom, not the creed, but through the person of Jesus is whom we have communion through. Um, if you make creeds the deciding factor for communion with other believers, then you will close, quickly be in a very small group of Christians. So the, the, there are some benefits of, of creeds. The recitation of a creed provides us with a number of great benefits. For, we're only going to cover two of them today. First, the recitation itself is an act of worship. And this is one of the biggest things in instituting something like a creed 
that is important for us as a congregation to know when we are actually reciting the creed. Much in the same way that we sing together songs that have been written beforehand, um, we sing those songs together. Also, when we recite the creed written before the meeting started, uh, we praise the Lord for his victorious plan of salvation. In Psalm 40, David describes the act of declaring the truth in the midst of public worship. This is what we read earlier. And he says in verse 9 in Psalm 40, I have proclaimed that is said aloud or sung aloud glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. That, that is, I'm not going to sit quietly. I'm not going to close my lips and not speak. I have not hidden your righteousness in, within my heart. So today that might be, I, I'm not going to just be a Christian on the inside and secretly have a, a life with the Lord, but not declare it. David is saying, I have spoken, that is with his mouth, he, he has spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. And that is what happens when we speak the creeds or recite the creeds week by week. We declare God's work and his wonders, and we proclaim his righteousness. That is, what is God's plan of salvation? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And then later on in the creed, it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And the way that the forgiveness of sins takes place is, is because of what we believe about who Jesus Christ is. And so when, when David says in this verse, I am declaring your righteousness, he's saying, I'm declaring the, the manner by which you have ordained your people to be in right relation with you. So this is what happens when we recite the creeds week by week. We proclaim the glad tidings that the Lord has provided for us and we, de we declare the gospel in reciting the creed. And there's something that happens when we recite the creed. I hear your voice, you hear my voice, and there is a, there is a corporate dimension to the, the creeds. Not only are we reciting the creeds in the presence of God and his angels and declaring the, uh, the true faith in front of all of the spiritual host, as well as Hebrew, the, men, the mention in Hebrews to the great cloud of witnesses. But there's also a corporate dimension that takes place when we recite the creeds. We are mutually strengthened by each other's faith when declaring the gospel as one body of people at one time. Paul says in Romans 11, 12, uh, sorry, uh, Romans 1, 11 through 12, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul, the great apostle, telling the church in Rome, I wish I could come see you so that I could be strengthened, because you're strengthened as a believer when you see the person of Jesus made manifest in a group of Christians. And that's why we, that's why we have... Christian community, and that's why we do church. That's why the church meets. Um, and there's another verse in, in Colossians 3.16, where Paul describes what happens when the church comes together and sings. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
it is not just that we are proclaiming to God, although that is the, a key element of what's happening, but we're, there's also a corporate dimension where your faith is being strengthened by my voice. I hear you and, 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 am, and am affirmed that I am among the people of God. So that's why we say creeds. That's why we're doing this series. Um, next week, we're going to actually get into uh, dissecting and touching on specific parts of the creed and scriptures that back that up. So let's close with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your work in sustaining the true church throughout the years. And Lord, we appreciate and ask for a better appreciation of, of both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to all of the beauty that is in each word in those creeds, and that we would find ourselves throughout the weeks meditating in moments of great faith and in moments of great doubt and great fear, that we would meditate upon the simple truths found and expressed in the creeds. God, we ask that your Son would become manifest through our public recitation and, de and declaration of our faith, and that we would see him and his work on the cross as the center of it all. In Jesus' name.